0: Welcome to the Open Door Church Podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, turn with me to Revelation chapter two. I'm gonna begin by reading uh, the first seven uh, verses in this book. So uh, Jesus here speaking, he's uh, instructed John to write a message to deliver to seven churches throughout Asia Minor, the first one being the church in Ephesus, and this, so, so this was a real church, you guys remember the book of Ephesians, right, Paul wrote a letter there uh, to the church in Ephesus where he spent a lot of time, uh, these are the words of Jesus that were written down and instructed to be delivered to the church in Ephesus. Um, In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, talking about Jesus, and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. This is what Jesus says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent." But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Friends, this, uh, this passage of Scripture is one that's very close to my heart. I'm not trying to hide it or anything like that. I do have tattoos one of the tattoos that I have is actually Revelation uh, chapter 2 here on my arm. I feel like the Lord has given me uh, a variety of passages of scripture that really marked me as a very young man. And this one was one of them that continually, uh, I felt like, was brought before me as a reminder to, to keep my first love in Jesus, to keep that passion uh to keep that passion lit. And I really want to just look at a few things here in this passage of Scripture because I, I feel like a lot of us fall into a category here that is remarkably similar to the church in Ephesus, that our lives are remarkably parallel to what's taking place at the church in Ephesus that's described here. And I think it would be beneficial, not just beneficial, necessary of us, Uh, to take heed the warning that Jesus gave the Ephesian church and take heed of that in our personal lives as well. And so if there's one thing that I I think would be important in highlighting here was that the Ephesian church, the church in Ephesus, was a church that was privileged with the gospel. It was privileged with good, sound teaching, friends, Paul spent three years there in Ephesus. Timothy ministered in Ephesus. Apollos ministered in Ephesus. Uh, the Apostle John ministered in Ephesus. You got Priscilla and Aquila. You've got like some superstars of the faith that ministered at this church in Ephesus. It was uh, by no means a, an easy place to minister, it was in a kind of a, a cultural hub where just all kinds of religion kind of flowed into. But the strong gospel presence and the and the word of God was most certainly preached here at this church. There was no lack of biblical foundation for the church in Ephesus. And they were greatly privileged with that. And I believe that that's probably a strong reason why they had such good doctrine, right? We see the commending nature of the Lord here in these verses that, I mean, it sounds like they've got some things going for them, that they have good doctrine. But I read this quote by Charles Spurgeon that I think is so so kind of uh, fitting for this. He says, when love dies, orthodox doctrine becomes a corpse, a powerless formalism. And uh, if there's one thing that I feel like the Lord has over the years consistently stirred up in my heart that that uh, I can't quite escape is that there are some things more important than being right. (laughs) I mean this not that there's an excuse for bad theology, not that there's an excuse for thinking about God wrong or anything like that, but I do believe that God is more concerned about your heart and your relationship with him than whether or not you have perfect 100% I mean theology that's right down to the bone. Because guess what? All of us are probably wrong on some level. Nobody said amen to that. <laughs> but uh, Adam is one of my closest friends. And if I had to probably describe somebody that I have the closest like theological DNA with, it'd probably be Adam. But we still differ on stuff. You know, I love I love Jack. He's a great dear friend of mine, but we don't agree on every little thing that we read in the scriptures. I'm not talking about like salvation issues or anything like that. But but the reality of it is there are some things that man, some somebody's going to be wrong on <laughs> just by the nature of it. And at the end of the day, I fear uh, I fear that a lot of us can get caught up so much in the intellectual aspect of the pursuit of, uh, of the Lord here, that we can neglect the place of passion. And I, I know for me, it seems uh, there's this constant battle as I've learned more about the Lord, as I've studied his scripture, as I've read his word, there's also this internal struggle to remind myself to keep passion lit, to keep the first love flame burning because it's easy to replace passion with knowledge. It's easy for me to replace this place of first love just with head knowledge that I have about the Lord and, and forget that those things are not connected and that if my passion is not fueled by with what I'm learning about the nature of God in his word, in study, that it's probably time to check my heart. Anyway, that's not exactly 100% the place where I'm going this morning, but I want to just continue to look at the church in Ephesus here. You see, they weren't strangers of hard work. Uh, Verses 2 and 3, I love the way that it's uh, kind of phrased in the New Living Translation. It says this, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Man, I I want the Lord to be able to say that about me. There are some days when I cry and complain to the Lord and and I, I you know, I may not get it right all the time, but I, I like to remind him, God, I haven't quit yet. <laughs> I haven't thrown in the towel yet. <laughs> and, and I like to, I like to think of the Lord maybe saying this about me. You know that, man, I see you, Nate. I see your hard work. I see your perseverance. I see your patience. I see how you suffer. <laughs> anyway. Uh, It's something that I want to be said about this church. I don't want to disguise this or, or, or pretend like this isn't a big deal, these words of Jesus here where he says, I know your works. Can I tell you that lazy Christianity isn't Christianity at all? That what he asks from us and that the purposes and desires that he has for this church are going to be laborsome. That there is work to be had. There is a mission to accomplish. But in spite of all this, this is like grade A report, right? You're getting an A and in all of this stuff, right? They work hard. They're patient. They have endurance. They don't tolerate wickedness or evil people or imposters or liars. They've got the right doctrine down, right? They're even suffering for Jesus and they're not throwing in the towel. Man, good report. The next word is nevertheless. <laughs> a, great way to, a great way to maybe translate that would be, in spite of all of that, in spite of all the good, it doesn't outweigh the fact that you do not love me like you did at first. It says they had left their first love. Talking about their love for the Lord. Now, this is crazy to me. This is is crazy. He, He encourages them to remember, almost as if they had forgotten. Remember where you fell from. Remember how you got here. Remember what it was like. Repent, meaning to change your current actions and do the first works. Or else he's going to come quickly to remove the lampstand from its place. He's going to come and remove the church from its place. Unless you repent. You see, at some point, the Ephesians began doing what the, at some point, what the Ephesians were doing for God became more of a priority than who they were with God. Their activity for God superseded their relationship with Him. They had left their first love. This is, this is the heartbeat of what I'm going to get at this morning. It says, I wrote this down, that obligation became the driving factor of ministry rather than the purity of love. Lord began to ask me a question, and as I was reading this, coming back to this passage of Scripture that I, I, I've visited over and over and over and over again from my time first giving my life to the Lord, you know, they were doing good. They were doing good work, right? They were getting an A+. Plus. If you were going to measure this church by their activity, Any one of us would have been like, man, they're on fire, they're getting it, they're reaching souls, they're they're a light in the city, boom, let's give them an A-plus on their church report card. The Lord measures by different means, means that you and I don't readily see. There was a lack of love in the equation, and so... I was left asking this question, how do I know if my faithfulness is merely stemming from obligation or if it's actually fue- fueled by love? What's a good measurement for examining my ministry to the Lord? Right, we know it can't be based on activity itself. I'm, I'm pretty quick to, to always come back to this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7. But in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 21 through 23, we say that not everyone who says to Jesus, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who actually does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." Right activity without relationship is illegal in God's kingdom. It's considered lawless. We see here people that had right activity, but they lacked relational intimacy with the Lord. Jesus says that he never knew them, that they practiced lawlessness. So what is the litmus test then? Because I'm asking the Lord... God, I'm doing stuff for you. I'm active in ministry. I'm pastoring a church. I'm raising a family. I'm I'm witnessing to people. I'm doing the things. But at what point is it fueled by love rather than obligation? Can I tell you that as a pastor, there are days that I show up because I know it's my responsibility, not necessarily because I feel like it. Sorry if that's a shocker to you. Any parents in this room ever just not feel like being a parent some days? I don't know about you, uh, but there are days where it's like, man, I really wish that I could just take a day off, right? You don't get that. I think there was like a Robitussin commercial or something like that at one point in time where the kids are all sick and they all have coughs and dad has a fever and he's like, well, dads don't get sick days. They get Robitussin, right? (laughs) Or something Am I making this up or did I really see a commercial like that? Anybody have any collective? Thank you. Okay. Two people in the back uh, uh, associate the fact that I'm not entirely crazy here. But the reality of it is, is there are days where uh, it's hard. And sometimes I do things just because I know it's the right thing to do. Those of you that have been in, in a relationship that are married, and I know this isn't like the common... Thought anymore in terms of our society, but some days we choose to love our wives and we choose to love our husbands uh, because we know that we're supposed to, even when it doesn't feel like it. And so, I, I want to be clear this morning. I'm not just asking us to like fake it until we make it, kind of a deal. And and, and this is this is where I really want to be intentional, and in where the Lord was speaking to me. Um, I believe that uh, there's, a, there's a litmus test. I believe that there is an indicator to the gauge of health of your relationship with the Lord. And I believe it's found in a simple word called joy. I believe that you can measure whether or not you're serving the Lord out of obligation, out of necessity because you know you ought to. And out of a place of love, out of a place of first love, and I believe it's marked by the joy of the Lord in your life. You might, you might immediately say, uh-oh. <laughs> I'm not here to try to convince you that you need to be perpetually happy with a smile on your face 100% of the time. But what I felt like the Lord was ministering to me over this last week... <sighs> That I was asking him this question, How do, where do I gauge whether or not my heart is uh, of what I'm doing on whether or not it's actually pleasing to you if it's stemming from the right motivation? Because a lot of the things I do, I do just because I know I'm supposed to do them, not necessarily because I 100% of the time feel like it. And he reminded me of the promise of joy that's found in his presence. And I want to encourage you today. I believe that some of us are in this fight still. They're still fighting the good fight, have been running this race. You're continually uh, showing up day in and day out, and you're punching in on the clock, and you're saying, God, I'm here. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do this because you know that it's right. You've been committed to your families. You've been committed to your marriages. You've been committed to the Lord and serving the church and doing this thing because you know and have a conviction that it's right, but you've been lacking. Joy. And I believe that the Lord sees that. And I want to tell you this morning, it breaks his heart. I want to commend you. And I feel like, just like he told the church in Ephesus, that he sees your work, he sees the fact that you haven't quit, that you haven't thrown in the towel. But there is still a promise of joy to be had, there is still a promise of his presence. That it doesn't have to stay like this. And so I, I want to encourage you, friends, please. I'm not trying to tell you to like fake an emotion or anything like that. And, and, and on, the, on the converse, just because if you don't feel like it, you shouldn't throw in the towel. But I continually come back to Scripture and see a promise of joy. I believe that there shouldn't be a prolonged period in your life with the Lord where joy is absent. In fact, I'm going to look at Scripture today. I don't believe there should be any period of your life, despite the circumstance, where joy should be found lacking in the life of the believer. And I say this cautiously, friends. If you know me, if I've been open and if I've been honest with you, I I struggle with discouragement and depression and I want you to know that you can still have a fullness of joy, even if that is something that you battle daily. I look at examples in scripture. I look at an example like David. I look at an example like Elijah. These were men of God. These dudes had relationship with the Lord that were not questioning. They struggled with discouragement. They struggled with depression. They had bouts with it but they also are some of, the, some of the men of God that spoke about the joy of the Lord the most. And I, I, want to, I want to be clear here that you're not less of a Christian. You're not less of a man or woman of God if you're not just in some kind of perpetual state of happiness. But we know that happiness and joy are not mutually exclusive, amen? I I like to always kind of define it this as this, it, it helps me kind of bring some kind of definition to what joy is, um, because a lot of the time our culture kind of implements this idea of happiness, of always having a smile on your face, but I believe this, that happiness is based on outward circumstances. You see, it's, it's, based, on, it's based on things outside of our control. It's based on circumstance, Most of the time, it's based on whether how much money we have in our bank account, it's based on how healthy we are, it's based upon uh, the friends that we have or may not have in our life, all of these things. I love you, buddy. (laughs) You're good, dude. (laughs) Oh, if that doesn't just break your little heart. We need nursery volunteers for my kid and the kids that are going to come. Uh... But I think about this, you know, happiness can be based upon whether or not we have the toy or if you're like my, like my son, whether he has the blue cup or the red cup or the green plate or the pink plate, right? Based upon what we have or what we don't, it's based in things that are most often beyond our control. It's entirely fluctuating, right? But I believe that joy is rooted in the character of an unchanging God and His promise towards us. Our joy is rooted in a hope that is bigger than ourselves, and it's rooted in a God that is unchanging, that is unmoving. So whether or not the stock market goes up and down and the money in your bank account goes up and down, regardless of what's happening with the economy or with any other thing, I can have a profound joy in the Lord in an unchanging God. You see, I wrote this down, that some of us in this room have lacked authentic joy in our relationship with Jesus for too long. We've continued to show up because we know better, but it's literally breaking in the heart of the Lord to see you striving in something that you were designed to enjoy. Your relationship with God His intent for it is for it to be enjoyable for you. I know that's crazy. That's mind-numbing for some of us because we think serving the Lord is about self-denial and just penance and, you know, just not having any fun anymore, right? The reality of it is, yes, we have to deny ourselves. Yes, there is sacrifice that that is going to be made. The, The promise of an easy life is not one that Jesus makes. In fact, he promises us hardship and trial. But he also promises to be present in the hardship and the trial. We are called to enjoy our relationship with God. I'm intentionally trying to be brief this morning. Um, So will you turn with me to John 15, verse 11. This is the great discourse of Jesus right before he prays for his followers. uh, Found in John 15, verse 11 says this. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is an exciting promise of Scripture, friends. There's just a few things that I'm going to highlight very quickly. And the first, that it's His joy that remains in us. You see, Jesus's joy is not the same thing as happiness or excitement. It's not defined by a life of ease. It's the exhilaration of knowing and being known by God, of having right relationship with the Father. And I want you to know this is the joy that is also promised to us. This is the joy that we experienced and that we celebrated when we took communion because God made a way. We have right relationship with God. There is a joy to be found when we have right relationship with the Father, and that's the joy that Jesus has. And secondly, friends, it's a joy that remains It's not this fleeting thing that comes and goes. It's not, again, it's not based on outward circumstance. It's not based on other things. It's based solely in the fact that we have a God that is unchangeable, who loves us dearly. We have a promise of a joy that can be a continual experience, not a fleeting thing. We have the promise of fullness, not just a glimpse right his promise there in John 15:11 he says that our joy may be full not half full not that you just get to experience it for a moment but he's talking about complete satisfaction in our relationship with god the promise of joy is rooted in everything that jesus told his disciples in John 15 right He says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So what things did he say to his disciples immediately preceding this promise that his joy would remain in us and that our joy would be full? Well, if you read John 15, and uh, we could read all of it today, but I would talk a lot longer than I intend to. (laughs) But we see that it starts with abiding in the vine. Right? We see this promise of being with Jesus, of remaining in Jesus, of abiding with Jesus. It's connected to the place of intimacy, and that fuels. Oh my gosh. Shelby, what are you doing to my kid? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, typically, uh, that distracted me. Uh, but we see in John chapter 15, right here, this promise of abiding, right, or this instruction to abide, of to be with Jesus. It's connected to the place of intimacy that which we see here, which would fuel activity and love for Jesus and obedience. If you follow the natural progression of John chapter 15, I'd encourage you to read it there. But we see these uh, important themes of abiding, of spending time with Jesus that would fuel legitimate activity that would be manifested in the place of obedience all under the umbrella of love for the Lord. And this is what brings about this fulfillment of this promise of joy. Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, that you will show me the path of life. This is, this is the psalmist. This is David writing this here. He's actually writing it from what most scholars would believe was a great time of trouble and, advers- and adversity in his life. And he writes this. He says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I... I want to be clear this morning. I believe that this promise of joy is rooted of spending time with Jesus in his presence. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up this morning. You see, I can't promise you a solution for everything that's wrong in your life right now. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what exactly it is that is a struggle for you, but I know that human beings... I know that you and I, we probably all have something going on in our life that is just hard. I don't know what kind of adversary, I don't know what kind of adversity you're facing today. And I don't have kind of a magic prayer that'll just make it all go away. I don't have a prayer just for things to get easier. But what I can promise, because he promises it to us in scripture that we just read, that there is fullness of joy in his presence. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.